You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Um, I'm Emily. Um, yeah, go for it. Um, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. But at that name... But at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you for that. Hi, everyone. It's wonderful to be here tonight. I, I can't really see. It's really bright. I'm not used to it. Um, my name is Neelu. For those of you that don't know me, I've actually been coming to Holvinia. I was trying to figure it out today for 13 years all of my adult life, so if you're good at maths, don't try to figure out, I know I don't look a day over 21. So <laughs> I came as a student, I used to come and sit at the back and try to kind of figure out what was going on, and slowly God just started to speak to me in the most incredible ways. So if you are here as a student and Hull was not your home, you came from a different city, all the respect, welcome. Before we start to talk about the chapter, the, the passage, Um, I just wanted to share a little bit about myself and my story, because I love stories. I love reading them, I love watching them be made into movies, but I usually always prefer the books, I think the books are always better. Sometimes when they turn them into movies, they kind of ruin them. Any Harry Potter fans here? Yeah. (gasps) Really sad about the character playing Hagrid Dine recently, I was like, oh no. I love the films, but I love the books even more. I am fascinated by magical things and miracles and just the supernatural and everything. My favorite series and books and the the series that actually turn into movies are The Lord of the Rings. I've got a seven-year-old daughter. Well, she'll be seven in November. She's going around telling everybody I'm seven already. You're like, no. Um, And we've just started to introduce her to The Lord of the Rings and just skipping the bits that are a bit too scary for her. I just love it. She, my daughter also loves stories. She loves reading them, writing them, and retelling us the stories, making up stories. And when it comes to bedtimes, her favorite thing is to tell me. She just kind of likes to challenge me, say, Mommy, tell me a story from your head. So I'm like, okay. So I've kind of learned now, what I do is I kind of pick a character from the Bible and I cheat. And I don't tell her the name of the character in the Bible, and I retell the story as if it's like, the story I've come up with from my head. She thinks I'm so clever. I'm not really. <laughs> a, bit, a bit about me, my story. So I was born and raised in Iran, which is an Islamic country. I was growing up, memorizing the verses from the Quran up until I was about 13. When I was a little bit older, I started to question a lot of the things that I was being taught mainly about the goodness and the kindness of God, the God that I was being introduced to at the time. To me, the relationship felt like it was only one way. It was based on fear. I didn't have a dialogue with God. It was just me talking at him. When I was about seven or eight, my dad left us, unfortunately. So I grew up with my mom and my brother and our extended family, my cousins, and I've got really fond memories of actually going to my grandparents' house at the weekends or at the end of the week and getting 
picked up all sorts of mischiefs, as, as you would imagine. Um, I used to talk to God a lot. I still talk a lot. If people, <laughs> just, just as giggling, he knows. I'm a talker, I love talking. And I also ask lots of questions. I'm always questioning things. I was so desperate to meet with God when I was growing up. Fast forward a few years, my dad suddenly shows up on our doorstep out of nowhere. Literally, it's the middle of the night, and we're like peeking through the curtains that this, this man come in, and I couldn't recognize him. It's been five, six years before, since I've seen him. And he comes back, and the atmosphere in the house has completely changed. They start having so many arguments, there's so much brokenness in our house. And I just remember all the, the conflict, the arguments, the back and forth between my parents, and then we would be sent away and come back. And I now know I went through a really severe depression at the time when I was about 12 or 13. Unfortunately, I tried to end my life. I just started to lose just, just grasp of life. I was like, what is the point, really? What is the meaning of life? My dad told us, interestingly, that he'd come back because whilst he was away, he'd met with Jesus. So if you don't know my dad, he studied Islamic law for four years. So he knew the Quran back to front. And for him to come and say, I've met with Jesus, and the first thing Jesus said to me was, you need to go back to your family, I was like, you've either actually met with Jesus, or this is just a lie, really. You're just trying to play with us. Well, he said, all right, if you don't believe me, I'll send you. Go to Mecca, go to, the, go to um, the center of Islam, go to this pilgrimage, and then find out for yourself and see. And see what it's about. I said, all right, we'll go. We'll go and see what it's about. So off we go, me and my mom and my brother go to this Hajj in Mecca, which is basically, it's a, it's a ritual, it's rites and loads of things that you have to do, it's very ceremonious and it's a lot of cleansing and you have to go through loads of do's and don'ts and seven days of just rigorous performing various different things. I remember doing it and at the end of it, you kind of like go and do the whole cleansing thing, it's a bit weird looking back now. I'm thinking, I don't feel anything special, I just, I feel like I've not done it properly, maybe I missed it. So I went and did the whole thing again, like a mad woman. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, I need to feel something. Is this God? I need to experience him. And I remember after I'd done the whole thing again, and on the last day I go and I'm looking at the, the Kaaba, which is the cube in the middle. We would have seen it in, the, in, in pictures and stuff, which is like the equivalent of Holy of Holies for Muslims. And I remember looking and I'm thinking, nah, this is not it. God, you are bigger than that. You need to meet with me. I need to know, are you real? Are you there? And the experience I had at that moment is basically just changed the course of my life. I had an encounter with Jesus, and I had this vivid image of him just coming on the cross and coming so close to me and going and touching my heart. And I heard this <laughs> God speaking to me, saying, I love you so much. I send my son to die for you. And that was it. So I went back, having experienced the Lord, Jesus, in the center of Islam, having converted to Christianity and thinking, why, what have I been doing? And the rest has been a journey. For a variety of reasons, we had to move from Iran and come to England. I actually grew up in Liverpool. The accent comes back every now and then. I was severely bullied in school. Nobody liked me. Could you believe that? I mean, come on. Really badly, I used to get beaten up. It was bad. Um, 
the only thing that kept me going was actually my relationship with Jesus and the local church. I used to go to this really small Church of England church. It was run by a lovely family, and I don't think they actually knew the impact that they've had on my life alone over the years because they just planted so many seeds by little acts of kindness and the little things that they did. So you never know. The little things that you do for your friends, for your neighbors, they will go a long way. And that basically, that was my anchor. I got baptized. If you haven't been baptized, I want to urge you, get baptized. I was baptized when I was about 15. And the night before, I remember I had a really vivid dream because I was questioning everything, being who I am. I was like, oh, I don't want to make this decision because my parents have done it. I don't want to be following their footsteps. It has to be personal. It has to be about me, my relationship with Jesus. And I had a dream um, about Jesus. And this is how God, Jesus, often speaks to me through dreams and visions. And he came to me and he offered me his hand. And I'm just looking at him thinking, hmm. And I give him my hand. I put my hand in Jesus' hand. And as I do, he lifts me up and he carries me. He doesn't hold my hand and walk with me. He carries me. And he has been carrying me throughout so many seasons of my life ever since. And that kind of picture always stuck with me. That no matter what I've done, no matter all the million questions and the doubts and everything that I've got, that he is with me and he loves me regardless. This all ultimately goes back to our personal relationship with Christ, which is what I'm going to talk about in this passage today. This is Paul writing from prison with the message of love and the hope that goes beyond circumstances. He's talking about servanthood and living for the glory of God. And he's given us a mandate that our own story should be a living expression of Jesus' story. That our relationships should reflect Jesus and what he did for us. I love this passage. Because to me, it highlights the importance of two things. Firstly, your mindset. Because it talks about have the mindset of Christ. Classic Paul, setting the bar right up. <laughs> Not just, here's a list of do's and don'ts. Tick it along as you go along. Yeah, that's right. No, no, no. Have the same mindset as Christ. And then he also talks about the relationships, which for me is a high issue. So I'm going to start talking about having the same mind as Christ, and what that actually looks like for us, and then talking about what it means to renew our minds, for it to be realigned with Christ, because that's what we need to do. And then we move on to, to talk about the various different characteristics of Jesus that the passage is talking about. So the examples that Paul is giving, this is what it looked like with Christ, and this is what it should look for us. And then we're going to land at our destination, God's kingdom, and why we do it all. So let's start. Having the same mindset as Christ I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, oh, what would I give to know what was going on in Jesus' mind at that moment? He's quite quick-witted, quite sarcastic when it came to speaking to the religious people. And he just wonder, what was he thinking? Like, what was Jesus thinking when he, like this blind man comes up and he wants healing, he just spits on the clay, on the ground, <laughs> makes some clay and starts like putting it on this blind man's eyes. He could have done it with his words. He just healed somebody or raised somebody from the dead a million miles away. What was going on? 
this is Paul talking. He's writing to the Christian church in Philippi, which mainly were Gentiles. There's an ongoing conflict going on at the time about the way of the church, the way of the Christ, and the society, the Romans, the Roman Empire, and what they were dictating at the time. Their standards are different to the church's standards. Does that ring a bell? Kind of like what we're going through right now. Yet Paul, setting the bar high, teaching the church in Philippi what it's like to follow Christ in our everyday lives. It's about our everyday relationships. It's about our relationship with Christ himself. That it needs, our relationships need to reflect Jesus and his way. So when we're in the middle of the conflict, when we've got questions and things going on around us, what are we doing about it? The start of the passage starts with, have the same mindset as Christ. In another translation, it's even more challenging. It says, have the same mind or be of the same mind as Christ. In effect, it's saying to have the same outlook and attitude as Christ. But for me, having a mindset is a step before having the attitude because everything is driven from your mind. Because what you think and what's in your mind later translates into your actions. It always starts from your mind. And the Bible has a lot to say about our minds. Proverbs 23, 7, as a person thinks, so is he. The mind is naturally at enmity with God, Romans 8, 7. And then in Colossians 1, 21, this is Paul, again, writing to the Colossians at the time, saying, before you came to Christ, we were alienated and enemies in our minds to all things relating to the true knowledge of God because of sin. The mind was the enemy of God. So in order for us to have the same mindset as God, as Jesus, for our minds to be realigned with him, we need to renew our minds. And this is how, again, Paul talks about, about renewing our mind. Romans 12, 11, I think is a key chapter, key verse and says, do not be conformed to, his, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have you ever heard that it's all about the mind? It all starts with your mind. The battle is in the mind. When somebody's starting a diet, or the Olympians, when they start practicing, they say it's always, from the mind, it's always about the mindset first. Once you get your head into gear, once you've got your mind set to it, then you're more than likely to succeed. But what is it about the mind, and why the mind? Well, if you think about it, the mind actually is so powerful, it controls everything. Your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions, your actions. It is powerful enough to consequently contribute to an outcome before it has happened. This is what I found out recently, someone told me, this blew my mind. A study carried out by Max Planck Institute for Human Cognitive and Brain Science shows that up to seven seconds before carrying out a task, your mind already makes the decision that you will already do it. So when there is a choice in front of you of A and B, seven seconds before you make the decision, your, mind's already, your mind already knows which one you're going to go for. It's already made the decision for you. This is why, this is exactly why Paul talks about having the Christ mindset. 
because he later on goes to show what it actually looks like to have the same mindset as Christ in practice. Your thoughts and your unconscious thoughts are so important. What you feed your mind is important. The reason your mind, seven seconds before you made a decision, has already made a decision, is because of what you've been feeding it, the habits, what you've already been choosing previously. So the question is, what are you feeding your mind with? What are we feeding our minds with? What do you fill your minds with? What voices? What messages? What sort of content on social media? We spend the majority of our times either browsing, watching, conversing, reading, and effectively filling our mind with stuff. What is that stuff? I'm a dreamer, I'm a daydreamer, I'm, I'm a drifter. <laughs> Anyone else? I often get stuck in my head. I always get carried away when I'm thinking about something. I just start living it in my head, get a little bit carried away. If I was to get my phone out and go on the news, it's just so much negativity. It's all about the economic crisis at the moment. There's various different wars going on. There's the natural disasters about how to save the planet and all of that. A lot of the times, unfortunately, media is constantly sending the message that is often either very negative, it's a lie, it's a half-true, sending a message that somehow you're a failure, that life needs to look a certain way in order to be, for, for us to be acceptable, for us to be loved, to be successful. Sometimes the world starts shouting that we're not good enough, not pretty enough, tall enough, slim enough. And we start to absorb all of this. Our unconscious mind starts to accept it. We start believing these lies, these messages. And we start to subconsciously making those important decisions that actually have a great impact on our lives. I talked about having a daughter. When I had my daughter, I went through a really dark phase, actually. I struggled with severe postnatal depression. I found myself in a really, really dark hole. I was going through various different things in my mind. My mind was playing all sorts of tricks on me. I was in lots of things were in a hoof and loof going around in my head. My mind was having an impact on my life. I started to kind of, it started to have an impact on my marriage, on my relationships, on my friendships. I started to be really withdrawn. I didn't want to see anybody. I was so grumpy all the time. And I started to become obsessive over things and offensive. Somebody would say something. I was like, what does she mean by saying that? And I, it got to a point that it was just too much. I had to go back to the Lord and say, come on, what's going on? I can't do this anymore. And Lord really clearly spoke to me. He said, you need to strip it all. You need to go back to the basics. And I went through a process of, it felt really painful. It felt like I was shedding skin. Just these layers of the, the, the lies and the things that I'd been accepting, the lies of the enemy. His layers were just coming off, and it was really hurtful at the time. It was, it was a process that I had to forgive so many people. I had to let go of so many stuff. I had to renew my mind. I had to learn what it was like to be with Christ and have him as the center of my life, to hear God's voice again and to shut out all the other voices in the world that were telling me the lies. It's 
not about living our life for appearance sake or, or to go through a masquerade. It's about time that we start to listen to the words that God has written about us, about you and I. I wonder if you sat here tonight thinking, do you know what, I've got some stuff that I could let go of. Maybe I've got some layers. Maybe you've got some extra skins that you need to shed. Doesn't matter what other people may, may say or may think. It's about what you need to do. When I joined university, I had to quit being a cheerleader because it was not what I signed up for. Has anybody discovered that when, I, when they joined university? It's not about cheerleading. It was not what I signed up for at all. Some nights I had to go and do water bottling. Do we still do water bottling? No. We used to go and hang out outside of a club, nightclub, and hand out these water bottles to people who were coming out of the club. And sometimes I used to be just mocked and teased by my friends who'd been in the club coming out. I'd be like, do you want a bottle of water? And I wouldn't be joining them in there. I didn't care what they thought, really. This is what God had called us to do. Having the same mindset as Christ is about becoming one with him. And how do we do that? It's, it's about being in the right environment, feeding your mind the right things. Worship, reading the word, gossiping the gospel, hanging out with the right people. But ultimately, it's about your relationship with Jesus himself. Are you spending time with him? What does your alone time with Jesus look like? It could look different things for different people. I love going for jogs. Put the headphones in, shut the world out. I've got my dog with me, running, just praying and thinking to God. And also, I love having the quiet times in the morning when I actually get to read before everything starts. We call it the hamster wheel in our house. Because having the Jesus mindset ultimately leads into having Jesus-like relationships. And this is what Paul is talking about. In your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ. Paul is talking about having the, about the, our relationships within the church, with each other, one another. But I think it goes beyond that. It's actually not just about our relationships in the church, but our relationships with the wider community, with the ones outside of the church. Because Jesus has called us to be missional. But first, we need to get our house in order. Because everything else comes from the overflow of what's within us. When you look at the life of Jesus and having the same mindset as Jesus, ultimately what is the most important thing in Jesus' life and ministry was his relationship with his father. It was all about imitating what the father was doing. His father, depending on his father. Being sure of his love for him. He trusted him with everything. The list goes on. But how and what would it look like for us to have the same mind as Jesus and to have Jesus-like relationships? Paul goes on to point to what that looks like in practice and how Jesus demonstrated it so we can actually copy it. That's why I always say to my daughter when she asks me questions, I'm like, just see what Jesus did. We just copy him, really. That's what I'm doing, just copying Jesus. Or trying to, at least. So, these are the characteristics, these are the things that Paul is talking about in the passage. Jesus giving up his status, 
and effectively that his servanthood, being a servant, and ultimately his submission. So let's start with status. So Jesus, who was equal to God, did not actually take advantage of that. He didn't take advantage of his position. If anything, he went completely opposite. He became so humble, he became human, and not just any human, he wasn't a king or an official person or someone with prestige. He became a very normal, simple man, born to a teenage mother in a stable amongst animals. He lived his life, very normal, he worked. So although he was God himself, he didn't take advantage of his position. If you want a practical definition of meekness, this is it. How many times do we want to get somewhere only to exploit it for our own advantage? I see that so often in my line of work. If I get in with the boss, the boss, I can get that promotion. Or how many stories of leaders have we heard that unfortunately have used and misused and abused their position? exploiting their positions, what God has trusted them with, and ultimately breaking the trust that people have put in them. And how damaging has that been for the body of Christ? It's so heartbreaking to see it. But when we come into unity with Jesus and having the same mindset as, as him, always remember, it's because of his humility that he didn't take advantage of his status. He humbled himself, and he became a human. Jesus gave it all. He became human himself to save our humanity. So the reason why we do it is because he did it first. He did it for us. So the question is, what are we willing to give up for Christ? What is our price? For me, personally, there's been so many times in my life that I had to let go of a lot of the things. The biggest one being that being a Christian convert, I cannot go back to Iran. Technically, I'm classed as somebody who's committed apostasy, which is punishable by death or life imprisonment. Many people who are much, much braver than me actually live under the constant threat in places like China or Middle East who've given their lives to Christ. I often have that sense of homesickness. I just don't know. I, I sometimes lose my, that sense of where, where is home, where do I belong. And God often reminds me that I belong to him, that my home is his kingdom and is his heaven. But there's been so many other times I've had to let go of a lot of things. We are so lucky to live in this country where we can actually freely worship God and Jesus and to express ourselves in that way. So the question is, what are we willing to give up? What status? What comfort? What habit? What lifestyle? What addiction? What relationship? What friend? What family member? When my husband Johnny became a Christian, he lost all of his friends. Not even exaggerating, all of his friends. So his friends at university, he lived with six other guys. They literally kicked him out of the house. They used to mock him. This is the thing, you've joined this cult. This girl has brainwashed you. He went through it all. 
all his friends that he went to school with from since like primary school, they just wouldn't talk to him anymore. There is a cost. There was a cost for Jesus, it wasn't easy. But he gave it all. And he would do it again. Servanthood. Jesus, the servant king. How many times have you heard that? He showed us what it looks like to lead from the front, to serve, to wash the feet of his disciples. Having the same mindset as Christ is, for us, it means to have the same attitude as him as well. That servanthood, that serving one another. Are we serving one another? Or are we criticizing and judging one another? Are we washing each other's feet? Or are we becoming stumbling blocks in front of each other's feet? We can serve one another. We can serve the church with our time in your relationships, with your finances. When John is talking about this amazing um, vision of, of the new Compassion Center, you, I, I just start to think, how, how can I serve? How, what can I do? In what way, in what capacity can we step into that? Let me give you an example of somebody who served me. So when I was, I'm, I'm a solicitor, this is what I do as a, as a day job. When I was qualifying as a solicitor, you have to go through this rigorous training. It's really hard for two years. And at the end of it, once you've done, go through the training, they tell you there's always a job at the end. So the hardest bit is that training bit. So I'm going through the training, and there's jobs coming up at the firm that I'm with at, at the moment, I'm at at the moment. And I go for an interview, and I don't get the job. And then they put another job on the table, and they say, oh, this job is yours. And actually, two days later, I found out that the job has been given to somebody else. So there's like a one month left of my training, and I'm jobless. And I was so broken. I was literally on my knees praying and crying to God, saying, what is this about? I felt so humiliated at the time. And I'm just talking to my friends, my girlfriends who are close to me, and I'm saying, this is what's been going on. I really don't know what God wants me to be. If he doesn't want me to go and practice law, it's just absolutely fine. I just need him to speak to me. And one day, literally, I get a text from one of the partners in the firm saying, can you come into the office quite early on? So I'm thinking, it's either a really good thing or a really bad thing. So he just wants to speak to me before everybody else comes into the firm. So I go in, and he sat me down, and he literally offered me the job on the spot, without an interview, nothing, in a department that I'd been wanting to qualify into, but they told me there wasn't a job in that department. He said, we've decided to give you the job. You don't have to come for an interview or anything. This is something is quite unheard of in my line of work, really. People don't just give you a job when you train as a, as a solicitor. So I'm like gobsmacked. I'm thinking, hmm, what's going on? So I'm going back and texting my girlfriend. So I'm like, you never guess what? This is what's happened. Like, this guy came up and called me into the firm and he said, you've got the job on the spot. And one of my girls then texted me privately. And he said, Neelio, I've been praying for you for a month. I dedicated the month of January to you. And I've been praying to the Lord every day about this specifically. I was like crying, <laughs> could cry now, couldn't believe it. And trust me, this person has got a lot going on in their own lives. It's not like she didn't have anything else on. She could be praying about a number of things. 
but she gave up her time. And she put me first, before her and her own needs. And this is what Jesus did for us. He put us first. He served us, our needs. And this is what it ultimately led to, his submission. That Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to God's will, even to the point of death, and not just any death, death on the the cross. That obedience is putting aside our own views and opinions by believing in a higher cause. Don't know if you went to Hull Fair. Did anyone go to Hull Fair? Yeah? It was very busy this year and very loud. I think I'm getting too old for it. <laughs> but I love one of my favorites in going on the big, the Ferris wheel, and then you go up, and I just go on it so I can take a picture. That's literally my mission. So I can post it and say, I've been to Hull Fair. It's like mission done. I try so many different ones with filter, without filter. But ultimately, it's about changing your perspective, isn't it? When you're up there, you just see the entire fair. See, when when you're up there, all these people that you're mulling around and everybody, like, it was so busy when we went. We literally, like, tin of sardines. We couldn't move. We were stuck in one place for so many hours. You're like, get me out of here. But when you're up there on the Ferris wheel, you just see the entire place. It is what it looks like. It's about changing your perspective. When you're submitting, you're like, it's not about me. It's not about what I believe in and my cause. It's about a greater cause. It's about God and his kingdom. It wasn't easy for Jesus either. Submission is often hard because you have to forget about yourself and put God and him and his kingdom first. You see Jesus the night before he was crucified. He's on his knees, literally sweating blood, asking the Father, Will you take this cup away from me? But not my will, your will be done. Sometimes God asks us to submit to his will in a way that is really hard. Sometimes he wants us to let go of our dreams to have God dreams, and they look very different. Letting go of a relationship is hard. But if it's not in line with God's mission and God's heart for you, then it's not within within God's will for you. But always remember, this is what keeps me going in life. The destination is worth it. That we're all on this journey and it's hard. But the destination is the kingdom. And it's about having the kingdom perspective. Remember being on the Ferris wheel having that different perspective, looking up, looking at him. It ultimately comes down to our relationship with the Father. You see, we've gone full circle. It's about having the same mindset as Christ and what that looks like to renew our minds and to give up the status and to have a servanthood attitude. But ultimately, it's actually about putting him and his kingdom first. That's our destination Jesus' relationship with his father was so important. It was his love, and most importantly, the trust that he had in the father, in his heavenly father, that kept him going. That he knew that he will have the ultimate victory. He knew that he will beat death. And isn't it amazing to know that so will we? This is 
one of my favorite, you would have heard this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Corinthians 13 is often read at weddings and stuff. It talks about love, love is kind, love is gentle. And verse 7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This is God's love for us, but what about our love for him? Do we choose in a culture of self-preservation to choose, do we choose to trust God and our Father and the future that he's got for us? Or do we choose to follow our own agenda? See, the the upside-down kingdom is ultimately what Jesus um, demonstrated to us, that the God's economy is just so different to our, our way of doing things, that the last will be first, that to die is to live in Christ, to give is to receive in tenfold. And this is what Paul talks about in this passage, that we are having the same mindset as Christ, that we are given status, and Jesus gave his status, and he became humble, and he became servant, and he died, he surrendered and submitted, but this is why. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why we do it. It's all about him. It's all for his glory. This is why we have a compassion center. It's to serve our city, but it's ultimately about him, about to glorify Christ. And this is why I shared my story with you. My story continues, I could go on. I'm sure you've all got your own stories of the things that God's done for you and continues to do. But it is ultimately so then everybody around us will know and hear that every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. He is our God the Father. Would you like to stand? Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.